What happens when two parent coaches, one a Christian and the other an agnostic Jew, sit down to talk about parenting? They take their listeners from surviving to thriving. I'm Dina Thayer. And I'm Kira Dorian. Welcome to Raising Adults, a podcast brought to you by Future Focused Parenting. Hello, everyone. Kira and Dina here today, and we are so glad that you've joined us for another episode of Raising Adults. And today we are tackling back to school. We know some people in different parts of the country are already back in the swing of things. And there are others of you who that's really right around the corner, or maybe you've just started, or maybe it's still maybe a week out or so. And we just wanted to take a particular aspect of this issue and focus on it today. And that is really the transitions that come. The transitions emotionally, how do you deal with the feelings of a child going off to school, perhaps for the first time? And how do you take good care of your own emotions? Maybe that's going to be hard for you, all the way up through those older ones who maybe are not looking forward to going back and getting back into homework and all of that. And how do you navigate that as well as we're going to be touching on the transition out of summer? And how do you get back into a routine and some sense of normalcy after the lazy days of summer? So, Kira, yes. what's well, your wife? So bef- before we launch into wise, I just want our listeners, you might hear uh, <laughs> that I am not my best self today. Um, and yes, we went from survival mode, just right back into survival mode. You know. um, I got some kind of crazy, like, kid flu. Like, I had a fever. I mean, like a child. Like, I had a child's fever. Boo. I was dizzy. I'm still coughing. It was just terrible. But I learned an important lesson that I would like to share with our listeners Never, ever, ever limit or deny popsicles to your children when they're sick. And here's why. They are amazing. They are soothing. They are comforting. It um, provides um, liquid, right? It's literally Some like lubrication for the throat. Right? Yes. It helps them stay, you know, they say fluids. It's yeah. literally fluids. Um, I could not believe, because usually when my kids are sick, of course I give them popsicles, but I'm trying not to give them like 12. Um, 12 popsicles, totally acceptable. Like I just forgotten what it feels like to, to have that kind of kid sickness where yeah. you're that sick. And truly, popsicles are amazing. So don't limit the popsicles, people. Unlimited popsicles. That's okay. that's what I learned. Lesson of the day. Lesson of the day. So if I sound like a croaky frog, well, my apologies. We're just on the tail end of more survival mode. Exactly. The ongoing survival just, mode. I, I'm learning to just get comfortable there. Um, so my why around school. I think the transition back to school is so important because it sets the tone for everyone for the rest of the year. And we want kids to get off on a good start. Um, but I also really want them to come into the school year emotionally prepared and well-rested mm-hmm. because I think that and I talk about this all the time on the podcast, but I, I can be, as a parent, kind of selfish sometimes. And, like, I don't want the meltdowns of back to school. And it's not to say that I don't expect the big feelings. And when they come up, of course, I want to be there. But I'd like to minimize them. I'd like to be proactive and preventative to try and make sure that we just have as few as possible. And so I think there are some really smart things that parents can do in that lead up to back to school and in the first week or two to just help support their own feelings and their kids' feelings about it. I'm really similar in that a lot of it was 
I tend to be motivated by fear of what will happen if I don't do something <laughs> yeah. rather than reward. I'm not really a reward-motivated person. Like, if you do this, this great thing will happen. I'm like, if you don't, this terrible <laughs> thing will happen. So I tended to also want to avoid meltdowns, tantrums, everyone being overtired. But now I would say that that why is evolving, even though I can say I had it back then. So as I've mentioned before, one of my big goals in parenting is for my children to grow into people who are self-regulating, meaning they're able to make choices based on what's coming down the pipeline. They're able to prioritize and then make decisions accordingly. And so as I think we've said, at least at some point before, my kids have no rules once they're 16. And so we're in the season. My last one is going to be 16 this fall. And so we're working on how to transition into that. And what I want then is by the time we're like early to mid high school, they are knowing what they need to do in the lead up to going back to school. They're knowing how to slowly go to bed earlier, for instance, or maybe I'm not going to take my phone with me to bed and have that blue light that could be stimulating and keep me awake. Them paying attention to, okay, getting up early is going to be a transition. So basically handing that off slowly was really important to me. And that meant I wanted to set the stage for good transitions in those early years. So eventually they could just do that on their own and know, oh, this thing is coming. I know how to get ready for it in a way that's responsible. Right. Because it was modeled, right? It's like they don't even question it or think about it. It's like, oh, this is just what we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, let's let's look first and foremost at, you know, what are the tangible things that we would suggest parents do in the lead up to back to school to just make that transition as smooth as possible. Like, yeah. Not let's put the emotional stuff to the side and we'll just talk there. about like just the physical, tangible shifts or changes that might be smart to make. Yeah. And I did mention one in my little opening why, but we would scoot bedtime. Yeah. So we started that sometimes in early August. Where we live in Washington, our school generally starts just right after Labor Day, so early September. And my kids' particular school, it's always the Wednesday after Labor Day. So like we can set our clock by it. It's really helpful. And so we would start scooting that bedtime earlier and earlier just to get them ready so that they could still be well rested. Because what was also happening is in those lazy days of summer, not only was the bedtime a lot more flexible, the wake up time was. So we'd be sleeping in or hanging out in our jammies until later in the morning. And I would know eventually we're going to be back to setting an alarm and getting up. And I didn't want them to then have that mean they only got six hours of sleep. So with scooting back the bedtime, it also meant that organically they were waking up earlier and it just could ease into instead of all of a sudden you're up at 6 a.m. and hating your life. Mm-hmm. Yep. We do the exact same thing. And, and we're bedtime freaks anyway. Like we really... I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe because mine are still young, but like my husband and I really like bedtime. Like, good night. We love you. And now it's us time. Yes. Um, and in the summer, that does get more lax. But absolutely, we kind of start getting more and more strict that last week or two of mm-hmm. summer to kind of pull things back. Um, one of the major things that we do before the school year starts um, is clear the schedule for the first two weeks of September. Um, so no activities if possible. That's not, you know, we don't like go away for a weekend where they're going to be up late or like go to some big party that's going to be insane on the Friday after school mm-hmm. starts. They're toast. They're just toast after that first week when they get back. And so just kind of being okay with letting a few things go. Hopefully you had a great summer and you did lots of fun things. Just keeping it like super calm and super chill the first two weeks back at school so that when they come home, you know, they don't, they're not rushing off to that and rushing off to 
that. They're just getting used to, oh, yeah, I go to school, I come home, I have some homework, and just trying to fit fit that schedule back into their life before they're also fitting in ballet lessons and this and horseback riding and whatever it is. Yeah, and when they're making that adjustment, they're tired. I right. mean, even oh, yeah. if even if Toast. you've been faithful in moving the bedtimes and the awake times, a long school day equals a tired person when they're getting back into that routine. So having more to go in, into at the evening or on the weekend just adds to that. And one thing I would say, and it's not doable for everybody. Some people have family reunions or some last hurrah. But where we live, school starts right after Labor Day, like I said. And we purposely, when they were with me, Labor Day weekend was not like final crazy barbecue and all the things you can fit in. It wasn't, let's get as much craziness in as we can. It was, no, this is the time to, maybe we'll go on a mellow trip to Target and pick up any last school supplies or that last thing you need for your school uniform. And we'll hang out and watch a movie or we'll go on a walk together. But it wasn't go, 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 wall-to-wall appointment after appointment, even though that is a three-day weekend, we treated it like this is our weekend to get ready to go back to school. And so we're going to be kind to ourselves and keep our schedule pretty open. So I appreciate that you said that. And I think for families where it is doable, you can even do a little bit of that on the front end. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Just clear your plate. Yeah. And I think we also look at um, minimizing sugar those first few weeks. And and in the summer, I want to be clear, we love the ice cream in the summer and the popsicles, as I've made clear. As you've mentioned. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, we are like, I'm not going to lie, there's a lot of popsicle and ice cream imbibing um, in the summer. And so pulling that back too, because I kind of like when I visualize summer, I think of just like children bouncing off of walls, right? Because that's kind of what's happening. Everything's kind of crazy and wonderful. And I love that. But really starting to pull things back down and pull the Mm -hmm. energy levels back down. And so some of that is also like scaling back on the sugar and, you know, like maybe we don't have a treat every day or whatever's happening in your home. Just thinking about that, like how sugar plays such a part. Like I don't send my kids treats at school because I'm like, I don't want them on sugar at school. We eat sugar, but not at school because it's going to hype them up. So that Mm -hmm. idea of just kind of how are we starting to mellow? I like your word. Like how are we starting to mellow things? things down. Well, and I think particularly for young children, you have to look at the other side of sugar too, the crash afterwards. I never want to do that to a teacher. Oh, I always think about the poor teachers who have these hyperactive kids who are already hyperactive and then come to school with like their Reese's peanut butter cups Mm -hmm. or whatever. I've had like a horrible diet that's not helping with that. Or I even think about you know, birthday treats. And I've said before, we don't do that. We always send a book in Mm -hmm. the birthday child's honor and contribute to the classroom library in that way, because I don't want to do that to the teacher, give everybody a cupcake, and then they're like wild, (laughs) and then they'd like a nap, and now they're not listening to the (laughs) lesson. So thinking about the sugar crash is equally important. I could not agree more. That's really smart. Yeah. And then the other thing I would say that we do, and I don't think this is going to work for every family, but I will share it's something that we do because we are a schedule-oriented family, um, and because there are so many statistics out there that suggest that kids lose like a third of what they've learned over the summer. Um, I actually, over the summer, require 30 minutes of work every day. So we do a little reading and we do a little workbook. There's a great book. Um, I can We can put this in the video show notes called The Summer Bridge Book. And it's designed to go over the material from last year's curriculum and begin to introduce them to the curriculum for next year. So kind of bridging the mm-hmm. gap between first and second grade. Great book. It's just like a little page every day. It's not a huge deal. Um, 
And I and for us, it's not like we do that every day. We do it every day that there's not something big going on. So if we're traveling, we don't do it. Or if we have friends visiting, we don't do it. But if it's just a normal you know mm-hmm. summer day during the week, we do it. And what I've seen is that my kids sort of aren't so shocked when they are back in the classroom and they're not catching up their learning. They've actually kind of maintained what they've learned mm-hmm. and maybe even learned a little bit more, which, which makes them feel like really confident in what they're learning at the beginning of the year. So I, I found that to be really helpful, just setting the tone for it's always my expectation that you're learning. It's always my expectation that you're working hard. Um, I'm going to dramatically take you from seven and a half hours a day down to 30 minutes a day, but still having a little bit of that routine over the summer when it's appropriate, um, I found to be really effective. It is really great. I'm pretty thankful that our school has a summer reading program. Mm-hmm. So some of this was kind of built in for me. And they make it so fun because it looks like a bingo card. Oh, cool. And so if they get a bingo, there's a prize. If they get a whole blackout, it's the biggest prize. And what's been great is, again, there's this progression where now the summer reading in the secondary school is a lot more intense. It's They're earning house points for it. Mm. So as I've mentioned, our school has this house sy- system, which probably most people, the best way they could think about it is like Harry Potter, but our school hates when we describe it that way. So, <laughs> so sorry. Um, but they are in a constant competition for house points, and their first house points is summer reading. So they tend to be pretty motivated to get it done. But what's been really interesting for me is this letting go process of oh, you haven't even started reading and it's August or whatever, mm-hmm. and to let them own that. Whereas before, it'd be like, what book are we doing today to color in a bingo square? <laughs> you know, So it is, again, just this slow release of letting them self-regulate. But I'm thankful that there was this built-in expectation of you are at least going to use your mind. And I used to, as I've said before, time it with also screen time. Mm-hmm. And so then that summer reading was really able to kind of happen naturally. And there was an equated kind of privilege for that. So I I think doing something in the summer is fabulous, whether you even have your child work on. I mean, even a preschooler, you can start talking about three-star coloring. We use actual colors found in the world, not a purple tree. We stay in the lines and we do our best work. So we talked all the time about three-star coloring, and we could even do coloring in the summer. We can do that with a really, really young child. You can do flashcards. You can do any number of things. And I want to just mention, since you mentioned a great resource, there's one I love. If you're listening to this and you have a tiny person, but you want to be looking at school readiness in a proactive, future-focused way, but without something super intense, I really recommend the book Slow and Steady, Get Me Ready. It has a daily activity for birth to age five. And they're really easy, and they only require household materials. And we didn't do every single one because life, Mm -hmm. but we worked through that with my kids when they were infants all the way through. And it was so nice just to build the skills for kindergarten readiness, but in a way that felt like just playing at home. So. Absolutely. There should be some year-round learning. Just yes, a little please. bit. And it doesn't have to look at all like what I do. No. But just, a, you know, just 20 minutes of reading every day or something that's predictable mm-hmm. that sets the tone for this is not just a free-for-all. Exactly. We are still expecting that you're learning and growing. And I think that's good just in life, too. Mm-hmm. You don't suddenly have no expectations for life just because right. it's summer. The house still needs to get cleaner. We need to do our chores or walk the dog or whatever, those things still have to happen. And so keeping our brains alert and growing still has to happen too. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about emotions. Let's. Hey, so <laughs> I think let's start with kids' emotions because they're going to have some feels as they go back to school. I, I think 
even my littles, I mean, they're good at school, but I don't know that they love it. Um, they love aspects of it, but they they love summer. Reese especially. I mean, that kid that kid would homeschool in a heartbeat. <laughs> um, if, if I could just bring snacks. Um, <laughs> so, so I think, you know, looking at what are the feelings that they're feeling in the lead up to school starting and what are some of the feelings that are going to come up in those first days and weeks? Because one of the biggest things I think that my kids are struggling with and thinking about is the friendship piece. They don't know who their teacher is going to be. They don't know because we don't find out till the week before school starts in, in our school, which is so horrifying. Oh, really? P- parents have nightmares like the whole week before, you know, what if it's a bad fit and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, um, but they also don't know who's going to be in their class. So they're, you know, navigating this possibility of new people. What if I'm not with my friend? What if I'm with someone I don't like or who's hurt my feelings? Um, what's it going to be like to be back in that classroom dealing with all these personalities? Like, it's a it's a huge time of transition. Um, and then you add the educational piece. I mean, that's not even, like, about academics. Right. So there's so many big feelings. So how did you handle that when they were younger? Because I think you, you touched on this earlier. It's such a good point. These are different things when they're small and maybe elementary than it is middle school, high school. So can you kind of run the gambit on that a little bit? Because mm-hmm. I can really only speak to elementary school. Yeah, I, I can say a little bit about what we did when they were small. And then for those who might have older kids, I can share about that. But we actually talked about you're going to have some things happen today or in the coming weeks. We usually started this conversation in the summer and then had another one on the morning of, but talked about, well, you're going to meet new people and you're going to meet some new grown-ups and you're going to learn about how things go in your classroom. And I've said this before about the very first school my children attended because we homeschooled at first when they were little was a Montessori. And those are quite different in their own way as well. Mm -hmm. So just learning the school culture. And so what I did, and I want to recognize this isn't always possible. And I, I was surprised to find out actually most public schools won't do it because of safety, but we were able to visit the school in advance and be in a Montessori classroom with no children in it. So they could just see what it looked like and have one of the Montessori teachers explain to them, here's where we do this part of the day and here's where you'll sit for snack and this is where the nap mats live and all of that. And I think that really helped just to see the environment. We then talked about the people. So they had upwards of 24 children in the in the early childhood classrooms at this particular school. And so it was a lot of new people. And my children were just far enough apart in age that they weren't together. And I think that kind of upped the scary to them mm-hmm. because they were used to always being together at homeschool. I mean, they were learning different things, but they were together. So we talked about what it would mean to navigate that by yourself and how to reach out for help too. So we also talked about, you're going to get to meet some new people. And I made that sound fun. You are going to get to meet all kinds of different people and you get to find out what you like in a friend. And you'll probably sit with different people and play with different people on the playground. But we also talked about, because it was helpful to them, and again, not everyone has this situation, but I knew there would be little touch points in the day where they could see each other. Mm -hmm. So I would say, and then when you go out to play, you're going to see brother or whatever. And so that was really nice. I also let them know the times when they could expect to see me. Mm -hmm. And I think that was helpful to know it's not just suddenly mom is gone. You're going to see me at drop-off. I was blessed enough to work at the school so I could tell them when they might see me in the day and then I let them know and then when we're done we're going to leave together and I think just talking through 
all the things they might expect. But the two things I would really mention is talking about the people in a positive way. You get to meet new people. And if you can swing it, see the environment first. I think that makes things a little bit less scary. When we remove the curtain of mystery from things, it's amazing how that can help. Mm -hmm. So taking away some of the unknown, whichever unknown you can take away, I would take the opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's so smart. I would say the the biggest piece of advice I would give that so I wish someone had told me um, for first day of school drop off. So like probably kindergarten, like the real whole okay. hog, like you, this is it. Bye bye. I'm not going to see you for seven hours, right. five days a week. Um, on the very first day of school, there's, I think from a lot of people, there's a, a feeling of, oh my gosh, like I could tear up just thinking about it, like feelings of loss and grief and joy and excitement. And I mean, your baby's going off to school and it doesn't matter where they are in that. That's your little person. And they're going off into the world. And like, I have this photo of Reese and Rhiannon from the back. They've got their backpacks on and they're walking. Our school has like this long driveway and they're walking up the driveway and I captioned it like, and there they went walking Uh off into their lives, right? Because it is like that. So there's this desire. I think you want to get there early. You want to make sure you're there and you're prepared and don't get there like moments before because what happened was they were stood in this little line. We were 20 minutes early. All the parents were 20 minutes early. And the kids aren't as stressed as the parents. And the, there's this collective energy of, like, this big thing is about to happen. And the kids start to pick up on it. Mm-hmm. And they've got 20 minutes where they're just farting around. And all of a sudden, I mean, my kids were fine, fine, until that happened. And then all of a sudden, there's this build, build, build mm-hmm. of like tension and feelings. And and then all of a sudden, the kids, one kid starts to cry and another kid starts to cry. And it's like this knock-on effect. Oh, so I would wow. say, don't get there early. Get there five minutes before. Just enough time to get them in the line. Make sure they're settled. Give yourself a chance to have a moment. But like the buildup was brutal. So that's, that's my piece of advice for kindergarten drop-off. Um, for the rest of it, I think it comes back to those three ends. You know, like, we got to start by helping them name how they're feeling when they're small. Like, how are you feeling? I don't know. I feel kind of funny. Are you nervous? Are you worried? Are you excited? You know, like helping them figure it out. Um, And then we really want to normalize it because it's true. I was always nervous on my first day of school and I was a social kid. So and a good student. So I think really just allowing that like, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, Mm -hmm. you're nervous. It's a brand new year. We don't know. You know, you've not worked with this teacher before. You might have kids you've never met before. That's exciting and a little scary so it makes sense to me that you're feeling that way and then you know really just nurture it and and we do a lot of prepping you know I love my rehearsal so kind of looking strategizing well if you have a rough you know kid sitting next to you how are you going to handle that or if you don't feel like you connect with the teacher right away what are some things you can do to help build that connection Um, what are some tools you can use if you're feeling scared to calm down we do a, a lot of what if scenarios so that they have a, a sort of mental toolbox kind of at the ready for them. Mm-hmm. That's really smart. So here's what I can say for now. Now I have bigger people. They do not so much relish going back to school. Although I have a daughter heading off to college who's very excited. Well, that's different. <laughs> very, Freedom! very excited. Yes, independence, Freedom! bring it. Um, but also just like things that'll make me tear up. Like she said, I'm so excited to unpack and just stay in one place. And in a home with divorce where she goes back and forth all the time, like, I love that for her. She's going to live in the same place for nine months. Like, that's really special. So I get why she's super excited. And it's just 
a sweet ending to a chapter that I know has been hard for my kids in some different ways. But they don't always so much love the idea of back to homework, back to the grind, back to these long days, back to listening and what have you. And my kids are strong students, but still doesn't mean they love that. Mm -hmm. And so we usually have to talk through the feelings of, mm, I don't even know what the word is, but it's just they're really not looking at this with anticipation. And so what I've done is I actually back off a little bit because sometimes if I'm asking too much about how are you feeling about it? Mm -hmm. And are you nervous this year? Are you I mean, they mostly, they're at this tiny classical school. They mostly know all the people, all the teachers. So there really isn't so much social angst. It's usually about the workload because sure. that's increasing, mm -hmm. right? We're, we're getting, we're in high school. It's a big deal. And so a lot of the fear comes around that. So what we do talk about, though, is courses and how can we make wise decisions about that. And I think that helps them start to think about the coming year in a way that isn't, but how are you feeling? Because sometimes I get the pushback on that for sure. I would rather let them come to me with that. like, Or I ask like this, would you like to talk about how mm -hmm. you're feeling? Then they get the option to say yes or no. So what we do, and this is the practical side, is we do make decisions together about their courses. Mm -hmm. I have not sent my children off on their own for that. And there's a reason for that. I want them to have a challenging and rigorous course load because once you're in high school, your transcript matters. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about things like college and their future, even when they're always not always doing that. But also, it has to be the right fit. So you don't overload a child with six AP classes who's then going to flounder and have a terrible GPA. You have to look at both. Adequate challenge, but also the right fit so they don't drown. And so that's one way we can open the conversation at the early part of the year. We're picking electives. We're doing things like that. And we get to talk about school, but in an objective way. What's going to be the right fit? And sometimes that opens the door for feelings. So that's one thing we've done is keep the focus on classes mm -hmm. and let the feelings follow, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think something that I'm hearing coming from you recently that I really like is the shift that happens from the young years of feelings, feelings, how are you feeling? Let's talk about your feelings into learning when it's time to back off and trust that you've laid that foundation. It's like with everything you've talked about, right? Getting to that age 16, they've learned the things they need to know to not have any rules. Really this too, right? That you're there if they ever want to talk about the feelings, but that as a parent learning when it's okay to trust that they will process their feelings in the way they choose and that might be with you. They might choose to do it with you, but it doesn't have to be anymore because you've laid that foundation. You've hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's exactly it. And and still letting them know, though, that I'm available right. and maybe even asking it that way. Yeah. Would you like Would you to like? talk about yeah. how you're feeling? But, but there's I've, not the expectation. Exactly. And that's why I have these built-in other ways like we talk about mm -hmm. course load and then it might come up yeah or you're still connecting but you're doing yes. it in a way that's appropriate so yes. i have a quick question then we need to wrap up but my question is what do you feel like the turning point is the age where does that start to shift when you noticed that you needed to stop with the you know hardcore emotional intelligence and trust that you laid that foundation it was around middle school okay and a slightly different year for both of my kids but definitely in that window like between sixth and eighth grade mm -hmm. where it was evident that they wanted to more take the lead on that conversation but i was so glad i'd laid the foundation because they at least knew i was available if they wanted to and they knew i would ask a polite question to see if i was invited into this space because you can't just open the door and walk in anymore, right. literally or figuratively. Right. 
Well, uh, listeners, FFPs, uh, <laughs> we hope you enjoyed today's discussion on back to school. Wishing you and all of your children a very, very healthy, safe, and joyful back to school process, whatever that looks like for you. And uh, we will speak to you again next week. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded in my laundry room. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. Thanks for listening. <laughs>